Hi everyone, welcome to the B++ podcast, a podcast where we speak with leaders from around the world and don't confuse them with political leaders. Uh, not a lot of confidence there <laughs> currently the way the pandemic has been handled, but leaders from the world of business, from technology, you know, thought leaders, uh, people who are leading the way in terms of innovation and how organizations should be run in the future. And today I'm very, very pleased and happy and honored to have a very special guest all the way from San Francisco, Lisa J. Koss, who's the co-founder and partner at Ontos Global. She's also the author of the book, Leading is Learning, How Managers Can Get Business Results Through Developmental Coaching and Inspire Deep Employee Commitment. Wow. I mean, everything that I wanted to know uh, about uh, leading and everything I wanted to know about getting commitment from our teams. But most importantly, Lisa started the conversation by saying, how are we doing? So Lisa, firstly, how are you doing? And what led to the book? And, and, and how did 25 years of you know, a celebrated career in global leadership and so many other things lead to and culminate into this uh, phenomenal book? So many so many questions. Thank you. I know. <laughs> yeah. How many minutes do we have today, Abby? Uh, as long as we want. As long as we want. How yeah. about that? So yeah, I began the conversation with how are we doing? Because what I'm finding right now is that I'm looking for leaders to tell me about how we're doing, how they're doing as they look to re-engage with their, you know, in new ways post-COVID. They're looking forward. They're saying, can we get together again? Um, how are we doing? And and I when I when I ask them how are you doing as a team, I'm finding that they don't know. Right. Because all of their people are now scattered. They're no longer seeing them. They see them daily, but what what are we really learning about people? It's meeting after meeting, and so it's hard to know the state of things. And so you know that's a, that's a topic for me right now as we start reengaging in new ways and clients are calling and wanting to do things again right. so um so that's what's that's what's on my mind um and so yeah i'm 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 finding this a very exciting time just yesterday i saw my neighbor and he i don't even know him that well he gave an enormous hug and he said i it's been two weeks i had my second shot you know we can now hug and it was just this wonderful there's this wonderful feeling of spring at least here in san francisco area that it's we're, we're moving into a new time and uh, i know that not the whole world is in that place and um that's a whole other topic though isn't it yeah absolutely and and yeah maybe it's making us all realize what we've not been doing and what we've been missing hugging being one of them and you know maybe uh, the time to be staring into screens uh, should be limited. And I think one of the things that you uh, spoke about and something that really resonated with me is, you know, and it's kind of spiritual in a way, is the fact that when we are in these Zoom meetings, you know, one after the other, that nobody's actually there. It's everyone's either processing that's happened. So either they're living in the past or they're planning for the future, but nobody's uh, you know, ever there in that moment, right? I mean, one of the spiritual principles talks about being in the present moment, and that's all that matters. So uh, it's, it's, it's so relevant, not only from a business point of view, but from a personal growth point of view. So do you think that has accelerated a lot because of this? And then how do you as a leader bring your team to focus on the moment? And because I feel that all the time, I feel like, you know, and I find myself, uh, you know, uh, guilty of that all the time. So while, while I'm on a Zoom meeting, 
I'm probably typing a message to somebody else about the next meeting or the one that we just had or something. And it's just like a robotic way of, oh, I have a 9 a.m., a 10 a.m., 11 a.m. and everything. And it's just so, so how do we do that? I mean, as leaders, is there something that we can do that can help our teams be more centered and more focused in the present? Mm. I love that you call it spiritual because I think it is. And there is some, but also that shouldn't freak anyone out <laughs> because yeah. it, it's spiritual. It's something we aspire to. It's something that I work on all the time. I work on it right now. I'm working on it right now, being fully present with you, listening to what you're saying. And it's the only moment we really have is right now. The only possibility for change is right now. It's not in my head. It's not what I'm thinking, what I was thinking, the last meeting, the future. Like we splinter ourselves and we're not really great at anything when we do that. Right. And so what about being here right now? Completely putting things aside and just being here. So in terms of tips, one of the things that I tell leaders, and I just had a group of 20 this morning, um, most of them in the Boston area, technology company. And, um, and I began the meeting, it's a two hour, it was a two hour experience, kind of a refresher about basically becoming a manager coach and, and practicing our coaching skills as managers. And I began to say, as we begin, what are you aware of as we begin? Mm. And about half of the people said, I'm aware that I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not finished with the thing I was just doing. I'm aware of a meeting that's coming up. I'm right. So past, future, past, future, past, future. And then the, the, the question I, and they say, you know, I hope I'll, the next 20, 10, 10 or 20 minutes, I'll be able to, you know, I'll get here. I'll, I'll land here. I'm like, hmm, what if it didn't take you 10 or 20 minutes? What if you just decided to be here now? Right. There's something about just making the choice to be fully here. It's a discipline. I think of it as a discipline, but also spiritual because you have to trust that it actually matters and experience that it actually matters and kind of, you know, calm the demons, eliminate the anxiety and actually make an impact with your presence right now. Right. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, something that we, you know, had been sort of losing gradually in any case. And now thanks to the pandemic and thanks to, you know, our screen time is just become worse, right? In the sense that uh, even, you know, even not just about meetings, but also about the fact that restlessness of what's next. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? It's just like this, you know, constant, uh, you know, uh, movement that's required, and that that stillness from organizations is gone, right? So, and 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 uh, you know, I don't want to sound all nostalgic, but the fact is, you know, the fact that people were actually building meaningful relationships, people, uh, you know, were actually saying that, hey, I spent three years working with this person, and we became great friends. And now, you know, we've experienced times where people get married, they don't invite their colleagues, people are doing things, you know, taking huge decisions, they don't feel anyone's a part of that. So how do we change that? How do we reverse that? Is there, you know, you talk about developmental coaching, you know, and, and, and so how, how do we do that? How do we get that commitment uh, from the employees, from the team, not only to the company, but to each other, to themselves in a way? How, what can we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great, great question. And it is completely the thesis of this book, Leading for Learning, which is about how do you tie the business to the individual 
it doesn't have to be rocket science, but it is actually a science and an art because it requires practice. However, the idea that when we are making a choice as leaders to either problem solve something or to take the time to connect it to the individual mm. does make the difference between just sort of getting the job done and engaging people full on and in a meaningful way. And it's more important than ever now that we don't know what people care about anymore because right. everybody has had lots of epiphanies in this last year. There's right. a lot of people moving on. There's a lot of people having reorganizing their priorities. And when you, when you confront this kind of, you know, for many people, a lot of trauma, um, what happens is that you detach from your goals that you've had, it, particularly if you move into kind of a depression state, which a lot of people are struggling with mental, with sort of mental wellness right now. Sure. So to the extent that you detach from your goals and you reevaluate, if you as a leader don't know where your people are, then you can't make, you know, you, in general, it's, it's not advised to make these assumptions, but especially now we need to be in touch. And so the idea that you need something done as a leader, it makes complete sense. The idea that you want to connect that person with that goal in a meaningful way is the difference between getting full on engagement. And so there's a formula in the book about how do you organize your conversation in an efficient way that allows both things to happen, the business to get what they need and the individual to connect about why is it actually important? What do I get out of this? What is my development here? And, and how might I, how might I um, apply myself in a new way or in a different way? So let me give you a quick example that just came up this week. So there's somebody new who's working with us here and she's straight out of college. And one of the things that I'm looking for from a skill set perspective is kind of a system, sort of a systematic program manager kind of uh, role. And because she's straight out of college, she's not exactly sure what all of her skill sets are because she's been following the rules of the university and, and making things happen. But I want to see if we can develop her into the, you know, in this in this particular way. And so the first things that I begin to notice is how she organizes herself. And she uses a lot of post-it notes. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have a business need and I'm noticing something here about the way that she organizes herself. Can we connect those two things? Can she have a conversation about her learning and development and how and what she might get out of actually getting to be a, a veritable program manager that's beyond, that goes beyond sticky notes. Not that I have anything, I'm a facilitator, I love sticky notes, but you get my idea that there's a win-win here if we can make the connection. And, and there's a formula that, that I, I tell everybody about in this book about exactly how you do it. Right, so get the book everyone, if you want the magic formula. I mean, I can't wait to get my hands on the formula. And, and I think, of course, one of the things you mentioned is, which is so important is some, some degree of compassion, right? So because uh, I think sometimes it just comes from the wrong place and, you know, you're trying to, you know, I see a lot of these efforts and team building exercises and, you know, morale but boosting exercises. You speak to the employers and they feel like, oh my God, I have to do this. You know, it's just terrible. Uh, let me just get through this. It's only going to take a couple of hours, but I have to have to do it because our HR says we have to do it. And then you speak to the employees and they're like, oh my God, can I just turn off my camera? And uh, I don't want to get another zoom group picture taken or something so this because there's no 
there's no basis to that. There's no real feeling behind that, right? There's nothing absolutely, like you said, what are they getting out of it, right? Some HR uh, team has decided that that's the thing to do, right? So for instance, uh, I was just uh, witnessing for an organization and they were doing some uh, prepare your own cocktail on Zoom thing on a Friday and people were just like dreading it. And it's just like, you know, can we just go out and not do this? And <laughs> we can't enjoy this lousy drink and whatever else it might be. So how do we, how do we, I mean, of course, you know, it's easy to say be compassionate, but in, in an organizational culture, I mean, do we hire better managers you know do we sort of look for people who are more compassionate people who are more aware of themselves and you know uh, of people working around them or do we rely on processes because you know sometimes i i have struggled with the idea of trying to get somebody to look at things a certain way and i just felt that they are the wrong person for the job so so where do we start with this is it with the people is it with the processes or is it with you know some culture that we need to build Mm -hmm. my, my, you know, my view on this is going to be obvious as soon as I say it, which is in this day and age with so much changing all the time, we need to be hiring for learning acumen. Right. Well, how well can this person stay resilient? How well can they continue to learn and grow? And that's where this in the moment thing comes full circle. Right. Because to the extent we are always learning right now, and there's no, no, to the, to the extent that we all feel oftentimes like we don't know exactly how to go about doing something, right. which is happening more and more often because all this context is changing. So in the moment, how do we handle ourselves? Can we breathe? Can we actually apply ourselves in this moment with the skills that we have? Can we be nimble? Can we not get stuck? How well can we learn and grow? How well can I take into account who you are right in this moment and what you're saying? How, how aware am I of how I feel right now and how does that come to bear in this moment? So it's, it's for me, it's about my ability to be present and use that present moment to be the best version of myself. And it would not surprise me at all if more and more people have some of that, you know, the imposter syndrome idea? Right. Yeah. It is apt to grow and grow and grow because people don't feel prepared. But the thing is, is that none of us are preparing in the traditional way anymore. We have to be healthy emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically, if we want to show up well. And that's just, that's demanding. That's a lot, there's a lot to that. And so, you know, well-rested, well-fed, you know, these are things that matter, that impact the current moment. And I think that that's what we look for in people, like how well-rounded are they and how much, how much presence can they bring, which should be a reflection of, of sort of their integration as a person and how nimble they can be and grow and learn in this moment. Right. I mean, I think you touched upon some, you know, wonderful things there and we will uh, come back to resilience and, you know, we are hearing that word more and more. And, you know, last week, uh, one of our guests uh, said one of the key themes that's emerged out of the pandemic, not only 
organizationally, but you know, nationally and internationally is resilience. And so I would love to talk about that, but I will go back to the imposter syndrome that you spoke about. And actually the first time I heard of that uh, was last year when one of our you know, young managers who was very promising suddenly just lost all interest in, in, in work. And then, and I took him out for a cup of coffee and I said, what's bothering you? And he says, I think I have the imposter syndrome and I feel like I'm pretending every minute to be something that I'm not or something, you know, something that you sort of touched upon the fact that, you know, maybe we are not learning fast enough. Maybe uh, there is an inertia, there is a resistance in us to learn, right? People feel that, and it is tiring this whole zest for learning and you know every day you just okay i didn't know this now i need to know about artificial intelligence now i need to know about machine learning now i need to know about this so what's a good way like i think you kind of answered that question already but just you know taking let's say somebody in their 20s and you know maybe early 30s if they start feeling that they have this imposter syndrome that they are you know every day showing up at work and and you know they don't know who they are anymore so what's what should be the first action for a leader you know for a ceo to say okay i don't want to lose my good people because they suddenly start developing an imposter syndrome so anything uh, that comes to mind that you feel that may be helpful for somebody in their 20s and 30s for anyone really because yeah. i know people who are a lot higher up in the organization very high up and they actually have a lot of doubt themselves and they it goes back to this idea that the higher you are in an organization, less feedback you get. Right. And it's connected to what I would say to a 20 or 30 year old, which is, um, which is to get to know yourself as well as you possibly can. And that comes first and foremost through getting a lot of feedback and knowing yourself. I just read last night this quote and it was by a, it, a, a quote about genius and about genius is somebody who is most like themselves. In other words, if you can be yourself and bring out who you are, which right. is the whole idea of really of coaching is like getting to know what are your patterns? What are your tendencies? What do you, what is the impact you have? What is your intention? All of these kind of beautiful concepts, they all lead towards self-awareness. And so to the extent that somebody is aware and spends just as much time celebrating what's working, what is good, what is happening, as well as, hmm, what is my learning edge right now? And, and having this balanced view and keep working on being more of who you are, you can't be an imposter to yourself. Right. So why not actually spend, so, and that's again where coaching comes in because part of coach, the coaching model is about managers taking the time to notice what your pattern, what your trends, and bring it to you and say, this is what I notice. I notice you use, you organize yourself in this way. So tell me about that. How is that helpful to you? How does it work? How does it not work? And so whatever the topic is, that when you bring those observations to others, they get to know themselves better. And you ask them, how is it working? How is it not? They explore and they, and they maybe set a target or maybe they say, no, I wanna do some experimentation on how I could do this and this to get this result. So the idea is, is that together, managers can help people become more self-aware. And I think that with, with the right support, the right challenge and the right support, people can become a better version of themselves every month and therefore not feel like an imposter because they're actually becoming who they are. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the most insightful thing I've heard in a long time. Thanks so much, uh, Lisa, for sharing that. Because I think, you know, a lot of times as leaders, you sort of give up on people and say, hey, they're not even self-aware. They don't even know, right? And I must say I've been guilty of that because, you know, when, when, when I try to speak to a lot of these young professionals and then they say, oh, well, I'm not so sure what I want to do and everything. And I try and I try and I try. But I think this is a wonderful tool that you've shared in terms of, you know, our, our, our responsibility as leaders is to make sure that we help our teams become more self-aware. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's uh, something that'll stay with me for a long time. Uh, it's just, and I'm, I'm playing out in my head how some of those conversations over the years could have gone and how I could have possibly helped. Uh, some of uh, those professionals who I believed were making terrible professional mistakes because of that lack of self-awareness, but, you know, uh, maybe I just couldn't help them. And I, I see that again and again with so many uh, conversations with sort of fellow CEOs and directors of companies, and they just, when they talk about their teams, you know, I, I see that, you know, similar sort of patterns emerge. So I think, yeah, it's important for us to uh, continuously try and be more aware of ourselves but at the same time it's our responsibility to make sure that our teams are becoming more aware of themselves as well so resilience a word that's used a lot loosely used you know means all kinds of things uh you know you speak to senior management and founders and they feel that their teams have no resilience you know and but you speak to professionals and they define resilience very differently you have you know, schools, uh, you know, we do a lot of work with uh, universities and, you know, a lot of schools and educational institutions are using resilience as like part of their curriculum. I don't know how effective that is. I saw resilience written outside a preschool the other day uh, and I was driving past uh, a center that conducts $700 resilience classes for kids who are three or four years old. And I was like, Okay, so you know, what have we done as, as a race, you know, to get to a point where, you know, first we make our people completely non-resilient and then we have to spend so much money to try to get them to be resilient. So, so, so what do you think is going wrong? I mean, collectively as a society, where are we losing that resilience? And then we keep talking about it. Uh, it's like, you know, stuffing our faces with a nice juicy burger and talking about fitness and uh, discipline. And I'm, I'm terrible at that. You know, have you ever met those people who exercise for 10 days and then start preaching about how good they feel and how everyone should do it? I'm one of them. So, yeah, <laughs> so, so I promised myself never to do that again. Uh, but yeah, what do you think we are doing wrong collectively, you know, from organizations, from educational institutions, society as a whole in terms of resilience? You know, I um, many, many years ago, I began in this field 25 years ago and, and starting with all of these different exercises and experiences. And I remember having to establish my values right. and I put on my values. I have this exercise that I um, now teach to others mm -hmm. and this exercise of, you know, listing out your values and then kind of doing this little exercise of which value drives the other value. And then you kind of understand. And on my list was courage. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of, sort of important to me, but I didn't quite know why. And I could never really speak to it exactly 
about when I had been courageous or why it mattered, but just felt important. Right. And then over the years, things started happening and it started to make more sense to me. Mm. I don't know that you can build resilience like out of a program. I went to a lot of, for me, resilience is an option of after confronting something difficult in your life, could be existential, could be anything, but something that is traumatic in some way. It's understanding that the most people are already, are resilient. Most right. people are resilient and do emerge from that. There might be a third of, might be like a bell curve. I recently read an article from Harvard Business Review about this sort of this idea of a bell curve um, and that certain people don't recover, they get stuck. A good chunk of them go back to the way that they were before the trauma. And right. then some of them experience something that you could call post-traumatic growth. Right, okay. They take that experience and they actually do something really positive with it and they become spiritually and physically even more strong. And so it's not inherent that everybody come away from a traumatic experience with a better situation. But you ask, what are we doing wrong? I guess I would just say that I don't think we need to manufacture resilience exactly. I think we need to be thoughtful, we need to be reflective, and we need to honor how we're feeling no matter what it is we're feeling. So if I have a very difficult year that I, I, I stay with how I feel, I explore it, I inquire about it, I'm curious about it, I cry through it, I scream through it, I do whatever I need. And so some people have had a lot of traumatic experiences in their lives. And this is now, like you say, it's a very big topic. And in, 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 and in academic circles, there's PhD dissertations about a word called grit. Right. And it's the same thing, but it's like, yes, it is true that some people have more experiences with grit and therefore they may have had more practice. They have actually come to some crossroads, some forks in the roads where they have to establish who they are and what they care about. Because as humans, we need to make meaning of what happens to us. We are born storytellers. And so to the extent that we have an adverse situation, I think if we stick with, with, being, with staying with any emotion that comes with our experience, and we start defining for ourselves who we are and why we why we are the way we are. That gives us some tools by which we 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 exit those situations stronger than how we went into them. And that's how I think how courage then starts to become relevant to me. And now it means a lot to me. Where at the beginning it was a notion, and I don't think anybody could actually have made me you know help help make that more relevant. Except life just had to happen to me. Right. I think you shared something really fabulous there, uh, phenomenal actually, uh, that we should try not to manufacture resilience. The whole idea is, I think all of us have some resilience and you know, different people have different amounts of resilience based on their experiences. Like you mentioned again, a term that will stay with me is post-traumatic growth. You know? So I think that's, that's uh, and I can see in so many, people that I know myself and, you know, how those periods were probably the uh, periods of accelerated growth in our lives. And, and so it's not all bad. And we just talk about disorders uh, after trauma, but there definitely there's a lot of growth as well. So I think one of the things, uh, you know, based on what you said is 
for for all the people listening in is the fact that maybe the better way to do is help you know again uh, very similar to what you mentioned about self-awareness but one of the things that i find myself doing uh, every now and then is to just help our you know colleagues and team members and employees realize that they already are resilient so for instance let them discover that resilience because again what i find really strange is the fact that people are going through a difficult period but organizations and leaders are probably not acknowledging uh, you know how people are uh, dealing with challenges and then there is a workshop on resilience that's happening whereas these people are displaying great resilience in any case and nobody's uh, nobody's acknowledging that or congratulating them on that and 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 so i think it's 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 really important uh, that we help our teams discover that they already have this resilience and you know again they could have a bad week i always try and acknowledge if somebody's had a bad week you know like if they're not getting a lot of sleep they've been working really hard and you know some uh, client or customers being very very uh, difficult to deal with and i acknowledge the fact that you did really well i mean how you managed to do that is wonderful it's a great example for others and so hopefully with time they sort of start realizing that they have that resilience already so yeah let's try not to manufacture this resilience something that which already exists um uh, you know another thing i wanted to talk about and you talk about that is trust you talk about trust how do we sort of build that trust amongst team members so that you know obviously it'll have more favorable business outcomes but it'll also have you know a better working environment for all of us so in 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 a day and age where everything seems to be so disconnected although we are more connected than ever digitally but we feel so disconnected from each other how can we build that trust amongst each other because i i find myself trying to uh be everyone's assistant you know our team members assistant trying to get them to talk to each other trying to, to tell them you know so i find myself saying hey one of our colleagues is unwell do you want to just check on him and i just feel that that's something that doesn't even come naturally to a lot of people these days so how would you build that trust so what can we do as organizations as leaders to build that trust among our teams mm-hmm. yeah another great question um and this is you know building teams you know this this what you're kind of speaking to is this idea of building a team over time you hear it sometimes talked about as building a high performing team it actually starts with exactly what you're saying and there's a there is definitely things that leaders can do to to build high performing teams that begin with just that and so this is part of all of our executive development programs where we actually take a group of people and through the process of the program we actually role model and demonstrate a team and how a group can come together in very accelerated relatively accelerated um ways and then we have them look back what did we do during this week what did you notice that brought had you feeling connected what and so on and so there's a couple of ways that leaders can accelerate the natural process of a team coming together so that it doesn't have to take years and years and years and one of the things you've already talked about is just an idea of connection and so just to connect to one another to encourage connection between the team members and that that's not a surprise right but there are leaders who you know who don't encourage the sharing of information so you might for example in a in a in a conversation and even in a zoom call like this with your team you might begin by just having everybody do a check in and have 
and say, you know, what's one thing that um, you're aware of, or what's one thing that you'd like to share with this team, and 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 just start to 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 have people be a little more transparent. Um, I think there's this, you know, one of the things the way we've seen this played out, I think, over time with Zoom is that people used to have all these fake backgrounds, and there's a lot of people who still do. But right. you know, it came very clear to me very quickly that this doesn't help transparency. I'd rather rather you see my room than as, as opposed to have like a fake background because it's information, and you right. can say, "Oh, huh, well, what's that, or what's that, or what does that mean?" And you know, what we don't have is enough information. And so, how right. can we actually connect to each other if we can't, if we don't share? Or if we don't speak up on calls, or if we don't, if we don't make our lives somehow a little bit public, and this is one of the things that I think has has changed for a lot of people that it actually they have connected because we're all at home and we see the dogs and the kids and so on. Right. So that's that that's one. Another one is um, to uh, be provide a lot of clarity around at the beginning of a team in a team is. You know, what are the rules of the game? How, what are we doing here? What are we not doing here? It's almost, um, it, 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 people get confused about what they need to do to develop a team and when. There is a timeline when teams need to have lots of structure. People need to feel safe. They need to have clarity. They need to feel connected. They need to understand roles and responsibilities. These are things that help people relax their shoulders and start to breathe. And then guess what happens? They start to like feel so comfortable that they start, you know, maybe, you know, what we might, what some might think is acting out or being snarky or telling jokes. You know, these are all good things. Why? Yeah. Because they're actually displaying that they're relaxed enough now to take some risks. And this is where leaders get it wrong because then they sometimes they still try to keep control instead of saying, Oh, that's very interesting. You're you're doing something different now. You're taking a risk. That's what we want our teams to do. We want our teams to actually grow. And so the container as a leader needs to get bigger so that people can start showing up as who they are. And that will happen naturally if they feel safe. Right. So sort of how do we build trust? We do it through clarity. We do it through connecting with each other. We do it through contracting around what it is that we're doing and not doing and what are the rules of the game here. And as that happens, we will naturally start to grow as a team that trust and then allow those risks to take place. Yeah, wonderful. So I think everyone can start off by taking a risk and removing their Zoom backgrounds. And that would be a great way to start. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolutely wonderful, insightful conversation. And for all of you listening in, please get the book, Leading is Learning. You can also find out more details about Lisa and the work that she's doing on tossglobal.com. Uh, and of course, uh, Lisa, where can people get the books? Yeah, well, it's 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 leading for learning, and it's in it's on Amazon, and there's eBooks, and there's a soft copy, and there's a hard copy, and all that. So um, it's on Amazon, and you, they can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm happy to entertain any questions or to connect to anyone. I I'm I love connecting with people, and I would just really appreciate any questions that come up for people to to hear them. So you've been terrific too, by the way. Can I just say what a pleasure Thank talking? You so much. Yeah, it's been an absolutely delightful experience leading for learning not leading is learning i got that right now this time thanks so much it was absolutely wonderful i mean there's so many gems that you've shared i'm trying to make a note of those right now and that'll have a really big impact on our lives and you know the business as well thanks so much have a wonderful night yeah. thank you so much thanks for your generosity